Good morning. It is a joy, a privilege to be here with you, to see you, to worship with you, to preach God's word to his people whom I know delight in hearing his word. As I was preparing for this sermon, which we, we break from Hebrews for a couple weeks, we'll be in Matthew chapter 2 this morning, looking at part of the Christmas story. And as we, we examine this narrative that we know so well, and as we think of it just because the association Christmas season, we have warmth in our heart for, for the verses we'll read, for the narrative, the story that we'll speak of. But this is, this portion of God's word is, is not a diversion from the harsh realities in the world that our friends are going through or that some of you are going through. This, this story of what the Lord has done in Christmas is not a diversion from realities. It is our hope over all harsh realities, over all evil. This is, this is part of God proclaiming to us that I see and I have an answer and the answer is myself and that is all the answer we need so let's begin reading Matthew chapter 2 verse 1 now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king behold Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And now Matthew shares with us from Micah chapter 5. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Our Heavenly Father, in 
the wonder of your grace, we ask that you would speak to each one of us. That you would open our eyes with full clarity of the significance of the coming of your Son, of what it is you you mean for us to know of you and of ourselves, of life in this world. We need your grace, so provide it in, in ever abundance to us. In Jesus' name, amen. From these verses, uh, we learn, and sorry to break it to you, that every manger scene you've ever seen is wrong. The wise men were latecomers to the, the Christmas story. They, they were not there with their camels in the background in the manger with the shepherds, Mary and Joseph and the Christ child. Uh, we don't know exactly how much later they came. Uh, some believe it possibly up to two years later. Uh, we see in verse 16 that when Herod saw he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. However long this was after the birth of Jesus, we know he is no longer uh, sleeping in a manger. They are now in a house. We see that in verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. Um, very possibly, Mary and Joseph had decided to stay in Bethlehem and to live there. Uh, to go back to Nazareth, where they were from, uh, may have been very difficult with uh, the news of her pregnancy and who would believe that she was a virgin who gave birth. Uh, even the fact that Mary had gone with Joseph to Bethlehem when she didn't need to go on that journey in her condition would seem to indicate that she needed to get away from home and family and friends and all of the, the gossip and slander and being an outcast, that was probably her experience before they left. But imagine the spectacle when there is a knock on their, their door and they open it and there is this entourage. Not just a few wise men, but all of the entourage that would have been needed for this trip that took months to make. And those who were their servants and those who took care of the, the pack animals, there is this large entourage, men of wealth and power and influence, standing there at the door. Who are these visitors who make such a, a vivid contrast to the, the first visitors, those who were there at the birth, those shepherds, the men of, of lowest means, of no respect in culture, no influence, no power, no wealth. And now in contrast to them, we have the wise men. They are not kings, they are magi. They were astrologers, 
perhaps priests, they were in fact and considered to be the most educated and learned men in the world at that time. That's why we speak of them as the wise men. They were the most learned. They were the most wise. They came from the east, uh, most likely either Persia or Babylonia, both places which had a long, centuries-long history with the people of Judea and the prophets of Judea and the word of God. Their trip was clearly a work of God to them and a work of God in them. This work of God to them of this star. The star itself appears to be supernatural by its movements. We we see in verse 9 that it, it moved in and came in some way over the place where the child was. We don't know how they connected this supernatural star in the sky. How did they connect that with a, a child who was to be king born in Judea? We, we don't know how that connection was made, but it, it had to be some communication from God to them. But the fact that a Jewish king was being born in Judea really had no meaning outside of Judea. The fact that these men would have heard that had no reason to impress them or get their attention. Judah at that time, it was this tiny, subjugated nation that had no real power or influence in the world. And yet, these men were motivated to travel anywhere from 750 to 1,000 miles. And it wasn't in an SUV. I mean, think of this trip. Hundreds and hundreds of miles on foot on an animal. Think of the cost just of the food you would have to gather, the cost of time, because you had to make all those miles afterward, had to go back the other way. This was tremendous cost, tremendous danger, weariness, expense. What would motivate these men? It was a work of God, not only to them, but in them that they would desire to respond what God had communicated to them. They arrived in Jerusalem asking what they thought everyone would know. Where is he? The king of the Jews that that was just born. Where is he? And nobody knew. Nobody knew a king had been born. It wasn't the buzz of the city. It wasn't something anyone was talking about. They were all mystified. In fact, what created the buzz in the city was this entourage of wise men coming hundreds of miles and then asking, where is he? 
That is what got everyone's attention. Logically, the the wise men went to the capital. That's where he would be. The the king was born. We go to the capital. There we'll find him. There everyone will know. There he'll be in a palace. We'll find him and we can worship him. Now, interesting what we see in the verses that when Herod hears of this, he assembles the chief priests, the scribes of the people, and he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. The wise men asked, where is he who is the king of the Jews that was born? Herod immediately is, where is the Christ to be born? The connection of the promised Messiah that God would send to deliver and lead his people He was not a godly man, but he knew of the prophecies, and the nation was filled with an anticipation of when would he come, and he immediately, when he heard of the king being born, he immediately asked the Christ, where will he come? And the religious leaders immediately had an answer. They weren't mystified about the promise of God. They knew what the word of God said. Verse 5, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet of God. Verse 3 tells us that the news of this king born troubled King Herod. Herod was not of the Davidic line where the, the kings of Israel were to be from. In fact, Herod wasn't even fully Jewish. He was only partially Jewish, and he only became king because the Romans made him king under their governors, made him regional king because of his cooperation with the emperor of Rome. And as a reward, they put this scheming man into a place of power. Herod was not particularly popular because of his heavy taxes, and he was a man of of great paranoia, so much so that he killed numbers of family members whenever he thought someone might be trying to get power, including at least two sons whom he murdered. He was a man who would do literally anything to protect his power. And so he secretly, he secretly calls the the wise men to come so he can talk to them. Uh, Secretly because he wants to take control over what is happening. He wants to make sure that this mystery and these actions that have been going on without his control, that's going to end. Control will now begin, and he will protect himself. But it doesn't matter how much power or authority anyone has. No one takes control over the plan of God. No one holds or moves 
the arm of God. He acts as he wills from eternity to eternity. That is why our, our friends in Belarus who have seemed to be at the mercy of their evil leaders uh, are really in the mercy of God, in the hand of God. And the gospel will not be stopped. It will not be slowed down. And those whose lives are given to serve the gospel can be ever confident that what their life is a part of will continue to move on. The only time we have to worry about whether or not our life will be wasted is if we are serving a kingdom that doesn't belong to Christ. If we serve any other kingdom, <laughs> then it will be lost. If we serve our Savior and Lord Jesus, then all is kept. The wise men now know to look in Bethlehem. It's only six miles away. And then the star reappears and leads them to the exact location. Verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose, it, it now goes before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. The actions, the attitude of the Magi in this moment are striking. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. The language there is meant for us to see they were as, as happy as is possible. Uh, this was not... Uh, it's been a long trip, and finally we're there. It's not that they're going to be done with travel fatigue. This is the one whom the Lord himself had declared to them that he was sending. They are about to see him. But what the Magi saw after all those miles wasn't very impressive. Verse 11, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. At some ordinary home, a very ordinary peasant woman with a very ordinary looking peasant child that no one was giving attention to. There were no servants at their call. It was just another family, another woman, another child. Nothing there at all to impress anyone. And yet, without hesitation, verse 11 says, they fell to the ground and worshiped, casting themselves before the child and offering the worship of their hearts to him. For they saw that child with eyes of faith. They 
saw the child with the eyes of what God had said to them of whom he was. They saw him as whom God had sent, whom God had promised, whom God had in his grace to them, let them know and had given them the privilege to travel the miles that they too could see him. They worshiped because they believed what God had declared to them. Worship flows throughout all of the Christmas story, every bit of it. The angels, the the angelic hosts worship. The shepherds worshiped. Mary worshiped. Simeon worshiped. Anna worshiped. Zechariah worshiped. They all worshiped. Every part of the Christmas story is filled with the worship of those whom God has brought together into it. And when the wise men come to worship, God is adding to our understanding of the story that this is a king for all of the world. And so he brings those from vast distances that they may come and worship. This savior is not for Bethlehem, for Judea. He is for the world. And all the world is called to worship him. The only people, the entire narrative who don't worship are found here. Herod, the people of Jerusalem. They're the only ones to whom this is made known who don't worship. How does the story of the coming of Christ affect you? Does it draw forth from you worship of God? Does it amaze you? Does it cause you to stop and consider what is it that God has done? Why would he do this? What does it mean for me? Are you able to hear this without being amazed? Jesus is God coming to us. Do you know the Christmas story? Do you know that the eternal God beyond knowing, beyond capturing, beyond time and place, that the eternal God who spoke the vastness of the universe into being, that he at a specific moment in human history was born 
of a virgin and God, God in that moment and then forever, God became flesh. God became man and God. God became one who joined himself, not just with physical body, but with the nature of a man. He united himself with our nature and existence and did what no no person has ever done in all the millennia of human history. He lived a perfectly righteous life. He never sinned in action, in word or attitude, not one time. And this perfect son of God, son of man, in the fullness of time, the Bible tells us when God's timing was perfect, he went to the cross and gave his Life as a sacrifice to pay for the reality that we are all sinners under the judgment of God because he is holy and we are not. And he took upon himself all of our guilt and he paid the price as the wrath of the Father fell upon him as he died and he went into the grave fully and completely dead. And on the third day, He burst from the tomb fully and completely alive. And he did this in his own words so that whoever would call upon me, he would save. So that whoever will recognize that we are sinners, helpless to save ourselves, He came to save us. How could we think that God would go through all of this? And that was just one way to God. And if you want, just ignore Jesus and just pick up some religion that someone made up through time. That's just as good. Or just your own spirituality, however you think God will accept you, just kind of wing it whatever you think will be good, that somehow that action of our winging it or what someone would make up could ever possibly match and be a substitute for the eternal God becoming flesh and dying on a cross and receiving the wrath of the Father and paying for your sins. They are not the same. And you, you don't deserve it, and you don't have to figure it out, and you don't have to conjure the faith to make it yours. The Bible tells us faith is a gift that God gives. And so even in this moment, you can call out, Lord, I want to see and know if Jesus is the Savior of the world. Cause me to see what is true. I need 
faith from you. Would you forgive me? Would you save me? And his answer to every honest heart in that is yes. Why would anyone fail to worship the Christ? God in flesh. Emmanuel, which means God with us. Why? Why would anyone fail to worship God with us? Why would Herod fail to want to worship the Christ, the one he believed was the Christ? It is because, like Herod, we, we want to be king. And like Herod, our, our claim to the throne is empty and false. The throne, the throne belongs to God and he alone. The world is his and we are his and our life and all that we have and know, it all belongs to creator God. Not only by his power to make the world exist. It all belongs to him by right of him who only works in perfect wisdom in all that he ever does. And goodness is in every action of God. Why would someone not worship him Uh, there are moments that we think we're in control, or we, it feels like we're in control. It, it feels like maybe we can shape life and make it work as we want, but let's be honest with ourselves. How, how long does that last? How, how complete is that? How much of this world do you control? How, what fragment of your life do you actually control? What, what part of eternity do you control? What part of death can you hold back? What, what part of after death have you walked into and seen what's there and come back and now can direct your life accordingly? There is one who has done that the Christ whom we're called to worship. We should be honest with ourselves, honest with our need, our need for God, our need for a Savior, our need for hope, our need for some assurance, an answer that we actually can cling to and be confident in, because no one in this world is giving us one of those. What should worshipers, those who do want to worship Christ, what should worshipers notice about the worship of the Magi? 
We should see how they humbled themselves. They weren't polite. They, they, they cast themselves to the ground before this child. They humbled and submitted themselves. There's all sorts of things we, we could say and need to understand about what does it mean to humble ourselves before God, to submit ourselves before him. I'll, I'll just bring up one. The submission of, of our opinions. Just one part of what it means to humble ourselves, to submit. The, the submission of our opinions to what God actually says. What will happen? What is acceptable? How do we enter heaven? What's after death? How do I get there? What will God say when he sees me? Oh, there's lots of opinions. Lots of meaningless opinions from everyone who has to admit. They've never been there. They don't know. Submitting what we think of eternity and our opinions about what it means to live in this world. Submitting them to what God has said. They humbled themselves and they exalted Jesus. The exaltation of Jesus is not a matter of our vocabulary. It's the role Jesus has over our life. It's not what's on our coffee mug. It's what is in the actions of life. Do we exalt Christ by making him king over how we think and act and the priorities of life? Is he king over how we live? That is a worshiper. And thirdly, they, they gave generously. It says they took from their treasures and gave the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Generosity is it's an orientation of life. It's it's a direction and the attitude of one who is not clinging but freely giving and letting go and sharing. It in, involves time and attitude and opportunity, all sorts of things. But uh, we must not neglect that it does also involve our possessions. So we want to be generous of heart and of word and attitude. Uh, but he is not king if there is no generosity over the dollars we actually have in our wallet or in your Venmo. How do we know we really, really are submitted to him, that we value him? That which we cherish so much, those possessions, uh, money which represents what we can do and be and where we can go and what we can have. Now, when that is submitted and freely given for what God would have done in the world, uh, that, is, that is a good evidence that he has the heart. 
there are two groups in stark contrast to the worshiping magi. As we've seen, Herod, who tries to get rid of Jesus, he is an example of all those who are desperate to cling to the throne of their lives. But know this, we cannot have more rule for ourselves without pushing Jesus away. You cannot have self-rule and exalt Jesus. They, they are diametrically opposed. The only way to hold on to rule is to push away the one who ought to rule. The other group in contrast to the worshiping magi were those who simply ignored that, that Jesus was born. All the people in Jerusalem who heard, is it true that Christ was born? They, he, all the chief priests and the scribes, they are all gathered. Where is he to be born? Oh, we know, Bethlehem. And how many of them went? Not one. Not one. Not even out of curiosity. Not one. It was the six miles wasn't worth even looking, even to examine what may possibly be true wasn't worth their time. We know far more than what they heard might have been possible. We know far more of who this Jesus is. We who know who Jesus is. Is it too much trouble for us to get up a little bit earlier or to restructure our schedule just to the degree that we can make sure every day that we were invited to spend time with him actually do. That we who have been given the word that never fails, not depending on the ideas of men, but reading God speaking. Is that too much trouble for us compared with what else we have to do? Is just being with him to know him and praise him as that becomes something optional. When we really need it, we'll break glass and you know, get the emergency alarm going. What about just day to day? I need and want the life of the Savior to fill my heart. And there is no greater need in my life. In the end, the truth is, Christ cannot be pushed aside 
and he cannot be ignored. In Romans chapter 14, we, we read these words from the Lord. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. The Christmas story is that Christ came as the angel told Joseph to save us from our sins. And Jesus does that so that we can become worshipers of him. But know this, being a worshiper is more than singing of Jesus. Being a worshiper is making him our king. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, may the sheer beauty and wonder of Christ in flesh, in love, in death, in resurrection, in reigning, may that so fill our hearts that we are impelled, joyfully impelled, to be near and to stay. And what has perhaps gotten in the way in our lives, may, may we see that as debris to be let go of. And together we ask for those who, who have not seen the beauty and wonder of Christ and our need for him, the desperation of our need who are under judgment, cause each one to see and know it, that we might all live with him as our king. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.